Years and years ago, someone wrote these words. Blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. I agree. Blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. Take your Bibles, if you have them with you, and turn to 1 John, book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And today we're going to talk about this uh, vast conspiracy of love that has swept the earth since Jesus came. And we're swept up into it now. So I watched a Christmas movie this week. Did you watch any, any Christmas movies? This was, um, the, the, this was the, the movie based on a book by a guy named Earl Hamner. Earl Hamner years ago wrote a book um, about a place where he grew up. It was semi-autobiographical. I think it was called Spencer's Mountain. And then he wrote a little, uh, little book after that, and it was a Christmas book. It was called The Homecoming. And then they decided to make a movie out of the book The Homecoming, and they changed the mountain name from Spencer's Mountain to Walton's Mountain. You got it. And so that first, uh, that first movie was, uh, was The Homecoming was about, was about Walton's Mountain. And the whole plot of the movie was this. Is dad going to get home for Christmas or not? It's the whole plot of the movie. Dad is working, and there's a snowstorm, and a bus is off the road, and was dad on the bus, and is dad going to make it home? The entire movie, the major plot is, is dad going to make it home for Christmas? There's some other fun things in there, like grandpa in the movie. Grandma comes over to him, and he says, it's a snowstorm, but I'm going to go ring the Baptist bell. And grandma says, you old fool, you can't go out there in the snow. And he says, you're not the boss of me. The Episcopals are ringing the bell, the Methodists are ringing the bell, and the Baptists are going to ring the bell. That's kind of my favorite part of the movie right there. <laughs> but there is a subplot, and of course it's their oldest son, and John Boy. And John Boy has a secret habit that he's hiding from everyone. And there's a lot of speculation in the family. What is John Boy doing in his room? He locks himself in his room what does he need to go to his room alone and lock himself in? There's a lot of talk behind his back, especially mom and grandma. What is he doing up there with the door locked? Why does that boy need to go up there and lock the door? What is he doing? Finally, they go up and they knock on the door, and he comes and unlocks the door, and mom comes in and says, John boy, what are you doing in here with the door locked? And he says, well, mama, isn't a isn't a boy allowed to have some privacy? And she says, do you have something under your mattress there? Have you been smoking? And he says, no, Mom, I haven't been smoking. She says, what is that under your mattress right there? He goes and gets under the mattress, and he brings out a tablet where he's been recording his secret thoughts, like how he feels at night when the train crosses the trestle at midnight down at Rock Bridge, or how it feels in the middle of the night when he hears a, 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 a nightingale call and then another nightingale answer. He says, I don't know, Mom. Sometimes I go and I watch the bus and I think, who are these people? Where are they going? And what are they talking about? And I watch the creek and I know that it empties into the ocean, and I wonder if I'm ever going to get to the ocean and what it will be like. And I just put my thoughts on this pad. I can't help myself. Oh, she says. 
Now, finally, probably you guessed, John Boy's dad actually does make it for Christmas, late on Christmas Eve. And when he gets there, he's got gifts for everyone. He's got gift for Olivia and for all the children. But the last one to open the gift is John Boy. And finally, dad says to John Boy, son, why don't you open your gift there? And then with his hands trembling, he opens up his gift, and it's a stack of tablets. His dad loved him so much that he knew his secret thoughts of his heart that he wanted to be a writer. Don't you just love this Christmas time that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love? And aren't the greatest stories that, you, that were ever written stories where Christ has inspired love in people? And how did that all happen? Well, the Bible says in 1 John, God sent his son into the world. God sent his son into the world. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And I want to show you some beautiful things out of this passage for a Christmas message today. This is in 1 John. 1 John, you know, toward the end of your Bible there, work your way back from Revelation. 1 John in chapter 4 and verse 7. And here's what the Bible says there. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let me read you that again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was displayed. It was manifest. It was shown among us. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. How did God show his love to the world? How did God demonstrate his love to the world? How did God manifest his love to the world? He sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to die so that we would live. And here's what it says there in verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. In other words, to go between the wrath of God because of our sin and us. The propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is it's perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us, us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is also, are we in this world, as he is also, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother when he is seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Now, this is just one of the many, many, many dozens and dozens of places in the Bible that explain that when Jesus came, he started a revolution of love. A vast conspiracy of love has swept the whole earth because of Jesus. And that kind of is one of the reasons why you see people, even people who don't have a real tight grip on who God is or what the Bible says, at Christmas time, they still find themselves wanting to do loving things and, and give gifts and exchange greetings. There's something about this, this vast conspiracy of love that swept the world. Well, let me show you from this passage four, four things. If you're a note taker, I'll give you the numbers. First, it is God's nature to love. That's why it says here in verse 8, God is love. If you, want it, if you want one thing that expresses who God is, the scriptures say, it's his nature to love. God is love. And he showed his love by sending his own son into the world to die. God's love is expressed through what happened at Christmas. And in the five chapters of 1 John, John who was, uh, when he wrote this, up in years, but, but a very, 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 very intimate associate of Jesus. He knew Jesus. He was with Jesus. He loved Jesus. And he was an esteemed elder statesman in the church. So when he wrote these letters to the churches, the people would have, you know, they would have listened to them read, you know, with, uh, with trembling hearts. What does this man who knew Jesus so intimately have to say about the Jesus movement? And what he has to say about the Jesus movement is over 40 times in five chapters, he talks about love. Love is what the Jesus movement is all about. This is the grand conspiracy that he swept the whole world into, the great revolution of love through Christ and those who believe. And so blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. So it's God's nature to love, and God sent his son Jesus into the world to show his love, to demonstrate his love by Jesus dying and rising again, and specifically dying for our sins. And the text says, so that we would live. Jesus died so that we would have spiritual life. Jesus died so that for those of us who believe in Christ, we never have to die spiritually. We have confidence in eternal life through the one who gave his life, Jesus. So it's God's nature to love, and he showed this love by sending his son. That was point number one, and I'm already on point number two. How am I doing? Point number two is this. We now are commissioned, we're commanded to be agents of his love. That's the program. We're commanded, we're commissioned to be the agents of God's love. God's love, God, sent, God is love, God sent his son Jesus into the world to die so that we could live, to demonstrate his love. And now he wants all of us who believe in him to be commissioned as agents of his love. It's really that simple. It's not just at Christmas time that we love or have stories of love to tell. This is the Christian thing to do. We're commissioned to love. I got a little text from my daughter. My daughter Heidi's been through the hardest year of her life. She became a single mom. She didn't have any money. Came home and lived with mom and dad. When she came home, it was Christmas time. As Christmas time came, she didn't have money to buy gifts for the kids of her own. And she was sad. She went into the room that I used as my study, and we moved my stuff out of there, and that became her room. It was a sad time. Part of what was in my study were these two big, two or three big jars of change. Every time I get undressed at night, I would take my change out of my pocket, put them in those jars. And they were great big, huge mason jars, and they were full of change. 
And the grandkids looked at those and they said, you're rich, Grandpa. I go, I know. I have all that money right there. And I said, how would you like to have that? I'm going to give that money to your mom. And so I gave that money to Heidi. Heidi wrote me this week a text and she said she was at the store and she saw that coin exchange machine and she said when she saw it, she burst into tears because she remembered that last year she didn't have any money and she poured those coins into that machine and there were $400 worth of coins that she could spend on the kids. And I thought, well, I didn't even remember doing that. But that's the way a small act of love is. When you love in Jesus' name, you are an agent of God in the world. You are doing something godly when you give, when you love. I, I had a boy text, uh, put a Facebook post on Facebook this year, and he said, hey, Merry Christmas, Pastor Pierpont. He said, I always remember you at Christmas time because 35 years ago, when you were my pastor, you bought me my first Lego set. I said, I wrote him back and I said, remind me about that. I don't remember that. He goes, yeah, you read in the newspaper that I like Legos and you like Legos. So you went and you bought Legos and you gave them to me. And I totally forgot about it. And yet over three and a half decades of Christmases, he's remembered that little tiny gift of love that I gave him. That's just the way love is. It's powerful. And this is the way God intends for it to be, for us to be agents of his love. Now look in the scriptures and notice that's exactly what it says here in verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he says the, the, the command is love each other. One another in particular. And look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the clear, ringing repetition that the aged apostle John said, if you want to know the heart of Jesus, this is the heart of Jesus. You love one another. We love each other. You say, well, isn't it kind of selfish for Christians to love Christians special and not for them to go love people that aren't Christians? And the Bible does say there's a special love that you're supposed to display to your brothers and sisters in the family. And the reason that is is because the way he's designed the world is almost like a, imagine a, you're cold and imagine you're hungry and imagine you're tired and imagine you haven't eaten for a long time and you're, you're ill-clothed and then you're happening along the street and you see there's light up ahead. And when you get there, there's a fragrance that comes out of the building where the light is. And then when you get close, you realize it's a bakery and inside is all this fresh, beautiful, all these baked goods. You look inside and the people are in there and it's a beautiful place. They're all comfortable. They're seated in chairs and they're drinking coffee and they're eating baked goods. It's, it makes you want to go in. You have to go in. That's the way the church of Jesus Christ should look to people on the outside. I want to go in there. I want to get involved in that community of love. I want to be loved and I want to love. This is grand hunger for love that all of us have. And at Christmas time and on every Lord's Day, we're, we're, we're the Jesus people. who we, we love people, and we love each other, and it pulls people in. Blessed is the season, right? Do you agree? That engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. I think so. Now, sometimes, though, if you're like me, you feel selfish and inadequate, and you don't know who to love, and you don't know how to love, or you just feel a little bit stubborn or a little bit tired or a little bit confused and you feel inadequate to love. And the truth of it is, none of us really are adequate to meet the great love need in the world, let alone the great love need in our own hearts or in our families or even in our, in our town or in our churches. There's more love needed than we have. So what do you do? 
And the scriptures teach this too, and this is powerfully beautiful. Look in verse 13. And, and by the way, here's a repetition of my point, so you kind of get the flow of this. It's God's nature to love, and so he sent his own son into the world to die. Second, he's commissioned us as agents of his love, and this uniquely displays God's love in the world. Before we go on, look at, look at verse 9. In this is the love of God made manifest. What are the next words? among us. In other words, it's not just that God shows his love, it's that God wants to show his love uniquely and miraculously through his people. God wants to love the world through you. Don't you ever say that you don't have a reason to live. You have a reason to live. Receive the love of God and give the love of God to people. And there will always be people who need love around you everywhere you look every day. And you're an agent of that love, and that's a special, miraculous manifestation of God's love through you. That's what verse 9 says. It's repeated again. Notice in verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It's one of the places, but then it's repeated in, look at verse 12, in a unique way. No one has ever seen God. Problem, God is, but I haven't seen him. Oh, solution to the problem. I'll send my agents into the world who act in godly ways, and that's the way you will miraculously see who God is through his agents, his followers in the world. That is a powerful purpose for living. You're an agent of God's love. In a world that's desperately hungry for love, you are commissioned as an agent of the love of God to display his nature miraculously in the world, you're going to say to me, you're going to say, Pastor, I don't feel adequate for that. Say that. Say, I don't feel adequate for that. Say it out loud. Go on. I don't feel... <laughs> no, of course you don't. That's why he gives you his Holy Spirit to inspire you and to empower you to know who to love, when to love, how to love, and to be able to do it. And this is what it says, and that's point number three. God inspires or empa and empowers this love through his indwelling spirit. So this is the plan. God is love. He shows his love by sending his son. He then commissions as agents all those of us who are followers of his son. And because we're inadequate to love, he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. He inspires us with his Holy Spirit. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit to be what we could never be without him. It's a powerful series of miracles, and that's why Christians agree with this statement. Blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to love. He'll tell us how to love. He'll tell us who to love. He'll tell us when to love. Now, notice what it says there in verse 17. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have a confidence in the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And then at the end of that same phrase, verse 18, it's been perfected in love. In other words, the perfection here means completion. It means the maturity. If you want to display the complete and mature love of Christ, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But notice in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. This is no small thing and it's not a weird thing either. It's not a weird, odd, strange, you know, kind of wacky mysticism that God would indwell, inspire, and empower you. What you need most, only God can do, right? The easy stuff anybody can do. But the kinds of things that need to happen in our world are going to require the miraculous power of God. 
to deliver somebody from the bondage of selfishness or materialism or lust or their enslavement to alcohol or drugs. Only God can do that kind of thing. And that's done through the, the agency of people speaking the truth of God and loving and through the power of prayer that God would do what only God can do. And a church is a cluster of people who are devoted to that. And that ought to make a church like this a really beautiful thing. God inspires and empowers us to love through his indwelling spirit. Let me give you a kind of a boots on the ground illustration of that. So this, this uh, Friday, we drove to South Bend, Indiana. And while we're driving over to South Bend, Indiana, that would be Lois, his sister Linda lives over there. And they, and they have six children, and she's married to a guy named Bob Dunbar. And when I met Bob, Bob was, uh, he had made a profession of faith, but he hadn't started to grow. And Bob began to grow and became one of the strongest Christian leaders I have ever met, one of the sweetest Christian men I've ever met with a powerful um, ministry to people. In February 1st of 2014, there was a terrible snowstorm that swept our area and over in the South Bend area. And Bobby was the kind of guy, he was very dutiful, detail-oriented guy. He would go to the church early and help open up the church and get the coffee going and greet people. But he hurried home that day in order to make sure that his wife wouldn't have to walk through the snow. And he shoveled a path from the house out to the truck, and that's where he died. Getting his wife and son to church that morning, his heart stopped working. And he gave the very last beat of his heart to get his family to church that morning. And when we heard that, we all were so brokenhearted, and we began to remember all the things that Bob did for us when he was alive. He was such a profoundly loving Christian man. When we were, the night before his funeral, over a thousand people came. It took hours and hours for all the people to come and to greet his family. And when I stood and preached his funeral, the church, a large church that was his home church, was absolutely full, including all of the balconies that day. And it was full of people who had received love from Bob Dunbar. The, the, the funeral was on a Friday morning, and some of the guys came to me that morning, and, and they said, you know, the, the group met today. And I said, what do you mean the group met today? They said, didn't Bobby tell you that he had a group? I said, no, Bobby never said he had a group. He said, yeah, Bobby had a group every Friday morning. It was at Panera. It was, we all called it Friends of Bob. Because what Bob did was when the Spirit of God touched Bob's heart, when a friend of his lost his job, he invited him to breakfast and said, I want to buy you breakfast and give you a word of encouragement since you're not working. And after a while, there were three or four guys and then, and then five or six guys. And over the years, Bob had that meeting on Friday morning and men would come and go. And he touched so many men during a difficult time in their life that when he died and his funeral was on a Friday morning, all the friends of Bob went to Panera. And they just were standing there in the floor of the church crying. And they said, all we did today was we just told Bob stories. That's what we did. Stories about how Bob would help us when we were hurting or he would give us things. Bob would, if you go out to coffee with him, he would never let you buy. He had this beautiful uh, gesture. He would always say, Ken please, please. And he put his hands out like that. He did it over and over again. Please, I got this. And every when I was out with my kids and I'd buy them coffee, they would say, let me buy. Um, every once in a while, they would say, let me buy. And then I would say, no, no, I got this, please. And then they would go, Uncle Bobby, right? Uncle Bobby. And when I preached a funeral, I told the people that were gathered there, 
If you know Bob, you know that he was a special guy filled with the love of God. And that's because he received the gift of God's love. It's like Jesus paid the price for our salvation. And then he said, please, he held up nail-scarred hands and said, I got this. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, it's not because you turned over a new leaf. It's not because you're trying hard to be moral. It's because you're a sinner and you know it. And you deserve to be in hell. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who never sinned to be sin for us, to die so that we can have eternal life by simply believing in him. And then your life begins to be filled in this great revolution, this great conspiracy in love. And then that, that, that love overcomes the, the rejection and, and the fear and the worry and the anxiety. By the way, that's point number four. This love, the, the more you experience this love, the more you overcome rejection and fear and anxiety and worry. This isn't a powerful thing when this love begins to take root. When you receive it and when you practice it, it has such a healthy effect on everyone it touches. And yet Christmas time, we know this. We feel it. We sense it. We know there's something in the air because the story of Jesus is sweeping the earth. And when the story of Jesus and loyal followers of Jesus begin to sweep the earth, it changed the whole world, and it keeps changing the world, one heart at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time, one community at a time. And that's why we say, blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. And that's why we say Christmas is a time for hope and peace and joy. And Christmas is a time for what? For love. Christmas is a time for love. Yes, it is. And by the way, I just want to tell you right now, this is an official announcement I'm going to make. The, the elders have prayed and worked and deliberated long about this. And uh, every time we meet, we talk about this, and it's the main thing we do. And as we've done that, one of the things we have been asking the Lord is to give us wisdom about how we can take this beautiful thing that we have here and share it with more people. How can we take this beautiful thing that we enjoy here, this love that we have for each other, this love that we have for the Lord, and how can we share it with other people who need it, whether they even know it or not? And, and this is the, the plan that we agreed on. It's really simple. We, you could call it an evangelistic strategy. It's like a good news strategy, and it has four parts. You don't need to write this down because you will hear it over and over again. And they're very simple things that Christians do. And the first one is that we pray. If you love people who are far from God, who need the love of God, you pray for them, you think about them regularly. And if you think about them regularly and you know the Lord, what do you do? You pray for them. You may even take your little uh, uh, phone and you may open a little app and you may put their name there. But you're going to start praying for people that you love that need to know God's love. And you're going to do loving things for them. You're going to pray. And while you're praying, you're going to say to God, what can I do to love them? And then you're going to love them. And then you're going to say, is there, is there a chance that they would be open to an invitation? And more importantly, you're going to say, is there an opportunity for me to have a gospel conversation? And together as leaders in the church, we have agreed that we're going to devote our lives to pray and love and invite in gospel conversation. And then we haven't talked to you much about it because we've just been doing it for months. Praying. Every time we get together as elders, the main thing we do is we go, so who have you been praying for? Who have you, and how have you been loving them? And how's the progress of that? And the sweetest stories are starting to open up. And God does stuff that we can't even arrange. God is touching people as a result of the ministry of the church, as he always has. He continues to do. This is our, this is our strategy. 
and we're going to invite you into it. And when the smallest act of love, when you've been praying for somebody and then the Holy Spirit inspires you to do something loving, you have no idea how powerful that is. So like many, many years ago, down in Kentucky, there's a, there's a little village in Kentucky that's the county seat of the poor at the time in the 60s. It was the poorest county in Kentucky, Wolf County, Kentucky. And in Wolf County, Kentucky, there was this fella whose name was Ralph, and he was, he was the town drunk. He had a beautiful family, he had a wife, and he had four kids, but they were always embarrassed because he was drunk, and he couldn't hold a job, and he couldn't really make life work the way it should. And in that town especially, this family was especially humiliated by that. And so they kind of kept to themselves in a little bit of a house with a tin roof across the creek from a Baptist church. One time at Christmas, the pastor, his name was Ray Cummings, Pastor Cummings said to his boy, he said, son, we have extra treats left over, so I want you to go across the creek to that family that lives over there. And I want you to give them these treats. And this is how it went. So the boy says to his dad, okay, dad. And, and he goes across the little footbridge over the creek to that little house. The house didn't have running water. It had an outhouse. And then to bathe in that house, they had to pump water outside, bring it in, heat it up on a wood stove, pour hot water into the cold water, and bathe in a tub in the kitchen. They were a poor family. And they, and they had their pride, though, because when the pastor's son brought those little gifts over and put them on the porch, the mom said to the kids, we don't take charity from the church. We're not going to take those things. And the kids said, but we want them. And then the mother said, well, then if we're going to take that, we're going to be a part of the church, and we're going to go there. And the kids said, okay. And out they went on the porch, and they got those little treats and brought them in. And the next Sunday, mom went out there, and she put water, put water in that tub, and she bathed all those little kids and dressed them all up for church and took them over to that Baptist church where they heard the precious story of Jesus. Now, one of those little girls, when she heard that story, it changed her life forever. Years later, they, they came up here to Ypsilanti to live because they thought maybe things would be better here. And dad didn't do well, but mom went to work at the Ford Motor Company, and they found a little church, a little hillbilly church in the neighborhood. And they loved that church, and they loved those songs, and the people loved them. And they encouraged that little girl to go off to Bible college, where I met her and married her. You just never know what's going to happen when this vast conspiracy of love touches your heart, and you go do the simplest thing in Jesus' name for somebody else. I say, blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a vast conspiracy of love. And I say, I say Christmas is a time for love. And, and I welcome you into the love of Jesus today. You understand how simple it is to believe in Christ, to express that belief in a prayer. We call it the sinner's prayer. Hey, God, would you be merciful to me? And would you forgive me? I believe in you. I want to be your follower. And if you pray in faith, believing that Jesus died for your sins, we'll help you here. Follow the Lord in baptism, grow in the Lord, and spread the conspiracy of love wherever you live. I hope to see every one of you here tonight. I guess we're going to have a little seasonal snow that'll make things just perfect for Christmas Eve. And the plans for tonight have been made. It's going to be a memory you will not forget. The service tonight is going to go from 6 to 7 exactly. So if you slip away from your family or bring your family here, 
it will be something you will never forget, I promise you that. A beautiful expression of this great conspiracy of love that sweeps over the earth tonight where millions of Christians who love the Lord express their love and loyalty by coming, singing carols, lighting a candle, of a symbolic candle, can, candle in his name. We light the Christ candle tonight. And we gather together from uh, 6 to 7. And I welcome you back. But if I don't see you, can I say a Merry Christmas to you?